0: I want to talk to you on the subject of worship today as as I think it's an important topic many of us never engage in proper worship we engage in proper singing and there's a difference between the two if it was if singing was the point i would have titled the message singing not worship i was listening to a message well a short clip where this one guy said it's strange that Christianity has taken the word worship and called that a genre genre of, genre of music. You have rock, you have rap, you have classic, you have worship. And worship's not a genre of music. It's a state of being. First of all, there's, I didn't know this, stumbled upon it somehow, but there are words that has this one word to it. Many words are a construction of two or more words So many of the the concepts we have in in a word is because we put more words together. That's when we say etymology of the word is the origins of the word is these two words together. But one of them is, for instance, lordship or kinship or sponsorship or guardianship or apprenticeship, sportsmanship, courtship, stewardship, scholarship, craftsmanship, citizenship, companionship. There's a lot of words. Chad GPT is quite good at putting words together. I'm not Chad GPT. I'll never prepare a sermon like that. Um, who still doesn't know what ChatGPT is? There are people, I agree. that uh, You and Chanel. <laughs> we were away, I'm, I'm going to take my time. We were away on our, I want to call it honeymoon as well. We married 19 years anniversary. And we were talking about, it and I said, We're one, you know, that so it's not your money or my money, it's our money. And at one point she said to me, I want a laptop. I said to her, we have a laptop. (laughs) I'll just stop that story there. But there are, there are so many words that has this one part to it, ship, partnership, leadership, friendship, relationship, and also worship. So what does that mean? Worship means it's, it's a construction of two words, which is worth and ship. That ship is the same ship that's in all these other words, and it's not a boat. It's not worth boat. That doesn't make any sense. So, the worth part means a condition of being, a state of being. So, when you're in a relationship, it's a state of being in that fellowship, in that relationship, in that mix with that person. When you are in a friendship, it's a state of being friends. Does that make, make sense? It's a state of being, it's a condition of being. So, when we say we are worshiping, it's a state of considering something worth it, that the act of being worth something, a state of considering something being worth it. Does that make sense? The condition of being worthy, the act of showing reverence or adoration, particularly in a religious context. So it's it's when you worship God, it's the state of considering him worthy. Now, when we are singing, that's not being in a state of considering God worthy. We are merely singing. And what many of us are doing when we are standing here and the worship team is up, the worship team is up here. They're not the singing team. They're not the music team. They're not the musos. They're the worshipers. They're leading us in worship. We call them the worship team. When they are leading us in worship and you're standing down there or sitting down there or whatever you're doing and your arms is folded and you're thinking about your house. That's you being in a state of concern, not in a state of worship. You are not considering God worthy of your time because whatever you're thinking of is worthy of your attention. Whatever you are busy reasoning through in your mind that has your attention is worth more than God. I listened to another person make a statement about worship. He says, the reason God is not present visibly in the room when you worship, because then the worship wouldn't be authentic. Uh, He he reasons and says that, uh, let me me try and put it in my own words, a different example. How many of you talk about someone badly when they are in front of you? Nobody, the stuff you'll say about someone behind their back, you very rarely say in front of them to their face. Now, would you, would you agree that integrity means that you won't say it behind their back about them if you are not wanting to say it in front of them? That would, would be what you would expect. Now, in the same sense, I would, I would say that when you, when God is literally here and it would change your worship versus he is literally here, but you can't see him. Say something about your faith. Because he does say, with well, you or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. But if he has materialized in the room, your response will be very different. None of us would be concerned about our houses and our issues if Jesus was to walk through that door. If the object of your worship was to come through that door, let me try and make it more practical again. Some of you have had the privilege of dating. Some of you are not there yet. (laughs) I'm not going to make jokes, it's too early. But if you like someone and you start dating and you really like this person, it's very difficult if that person comes into the room to be concerned about things that are not in the room. Does that make sense? But when Jesus walks into this room and you were able to see him, I want to submit to you that it would be very, 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 very difficult not to pay attention to him. And yet when we get into a moment of worship, which is not just worship in itself is not singing. But when we sing, when it's an actual organized moment of considering him worth our time, effort, energy, when we get there and your mind is still drifting, what does it say about your understanding of who he is? Does that make sense? All right. So we have to talk about worship and what worship is supposed to mean to us and where that comes from. Now, simply put, I want to say to you that worship is very much connected to the word love the word love the word love in and worship runs together in my mind the definition of worship is expressed in the act of expressing love you cannot worship what you cannot love because then you are forced to worship and god doesn't want you to be forced to worship if he wanted to force worship you he would use different ways of getting you to worship him does it make sense so it's the act of love. Now the first time the word worship is used in the Bible, and, and when we talk about uh, the word sacrifice, nobody likes that word because we think that sacrifice is involuntary. We, we think that sacrifice is something God wrestling, it, 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 sowing a seed is sacrifice. But we think that we feel sometimes like God is wrestling that 10 bucks out of your hand. God is not wrestling you for it. The fight is not against God to give it. God asking you and you fighting God. The fight is not against God, it's against your flesh. And that's why it's a sacrifice. So the first time the word sacrifice is used, uh, worship is used is in Genesis chapter 22. You can go there with me. It's very easy to find. I have a new Bible. It's not falling apart. And, And it's terrible because now it looks like I don't read it. So I'll be rough with it. I'll hand it to my daughter later today just to make notes in it and stuff so it looks used. Now it came to pass, Genesis chapter 22. This is the first time in the Bible that the word worship was used. It's not used in the word singing. It was used the word, they didn't go up the mountain to go sing. They went up the mountain to go worship. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. So your worship and love is in the same story. Your son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Offer him as a burnt offering. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled the donkey and took two of his young, young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God, of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now God says to him, take that which you love with you and go to a place that I will tell you. When he says to the young man, stay here, we are going to worship. This very effectively and clearly explains to you what worship is. It is the state of considering something worthy. Now if you consider God worthy, if, if God is worthy, at what point is he worth less? Because whatever you consider more than God is worth more than God. So God is, whatever robs you of ascribing to God, his worth makes that worth more than God. Does that make sense? He says, I will go worship. Take your son. So Abraham, his entire life, was waiting for this promise. God said, I'm taking you to the promised land. Uh, I'm going to give you a land which your children will inherit. Make your inheritance greater than the sands of the sea. All of this. And his entire life, he was waiting for the manifestation of this promise. And all of this waiting culminates in his son, Isaac. Isaac is the manifestation of this promise. His entire life waiting for this thing. His wife, 99 years old. It's a miracle by any measure. She gives birth to Isaac. Isaac is born. God says, this one that you love. This is the price. This this that you love. God doesn't ask him for that which he doesn't love. For that which he didn't wait for. That which doesn't cost him anything. He asks him, For that which he loves, because that's the price at which most of us fails in our worship. I want to say, I'm going to try my very best to get this out of me. When we struggle to merely worship when there's no cost, how will you worship him when there is a cost? The reason our decision-making part of our lives is in such turmoil when it comes to God. The reason we have no obedience and discipline in our service to God is because even where it costs us nothing, we're not disciplined. Because worshiping here is absolutely free. There is no cost to singing a worship song to God. But this will mean very little... If in real life, outside these four walls, when you, where the tire hits the tar, where your career is at stake, your relationship's at stake, if there's no sacrifice there to know him, your singing here is sometimes clinging symbols. God says to him, his entire life, this, this manifests in his son Isaac. God says to him, take your son Isaac, the one whom you love, and sacrifice him. And when he takes him, he doesn't tell his servants, I'm going to sacrifice. He says to them, I'm going to worship. What he is, let me translate it to you. I'm going to tell God that he is worth more than this promise. When God asks you for something, he's asking you, who do you consider worthy? And many of us fail at considering God more. We we cut down. On our time with God, so that we have more time with our children. Yet God is worth more. I'm not saying neglect your children, but I'm saying if sports days consistently take God's time, that's a problem. When your career consistently takes God's time, it's because you consider your career worthy of your time, not God. And there are many things that cuts into our relationship with God. I'm not saying become a monk because God has not called any one of us monks and said to us, go sit under a tree and meditate and free yourself of the cares of this world until you reach euphoria. He he doesn't expect that all of, of us. He in fact expects all of us to work and be successful at all we do and still consider him worth it and worth more than that. So when he, when he takes his son Isaac, he is walking down, and he is saying to his servants, and if you break the word down, he says, you wait here, we are going to get into a state of where he is worth more than this. It's an exchange of something, the word love. What I love is less than my love for him. Okay. Okay. There are a few things that I don't think God will ask you, and, and, and we are not living in the days of Abraham. We're not in the days of the law, and I don't think God will ask you to sacrifice your children. Uh, there is no way that God will ask you to sacrifice your children. God is not going to say to you, I need you to show me that you love me more than your child. Please drop him off at the local petrol station and leave him there. God will never, and this is a never, God is never going to say to you, if you are married and you love your wife, ah, it seems like you love your wife more than me, divorce her. God will never do that, just to be clear for the few people that's slow. So he says, I'm going to worship. This is the first time that I see the word worship in the Bible. And when that word worship is read, it's not in, it's not read in the context of singing, It's read in the context of what it costs you to consider God worth it. Now, every time we sing, and when we sing, and when we make melody, and our minds are drifting, you can't can't get to the level of, of sacrifice that Abraham's at if you can't even sacrifice 10 minutes of your time thinking. If we can't even spend 15 minutes in our minds thinking about God, his good deeds and how he has done and what he has done in our lives. How can we get to a place where other things in our life begins to be sacrificed? And if you want heaven to answer, there has to be a sacrifice. Jesus did not even escape the sacrifice that heaven demanded. God said for sin, there is a penalty of blood. And even Jesus had to sacrifice his life for your life to be saved. If Jesus doesn't escape the sacrifice that is required to pay for the sins of the nations, then how do you think you will escape the sacrifice of knowing God? (laughs) They have dictated all their Bible is reading aloud up in here. That's funny. Give me my phone. I've got scripture on there that I wanted to read to you. I don't know if I have it open here now. He says in 1 Peter 4.8, he says, above all, love each other deeply. Above all things, love each other deeply. In Ephesians, he says, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. We have to bear with one another in love. There's another verse that's not in my list here. But he says, by this they will know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. By the way that you love one another, they will know that you are my disciples. He says in in, um, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. It goes to the whole list about the description of love. But to most of us, we don't read that often because it's boring. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, Now these three, three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Song of Solomon says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He's talking about, uh, Song of Solomon is talking about boyfriend and girlfriend, about spousal relationship. But it's also talking about God who is our beloved and we are His. We are loved by God and God loves us. I think the scripture was read last week, I'm not sure, but. Uh, he first loved us, and now we love him. He, the Bible talks about love. Do you know that the Bible says that, let me see if I can read that to you. In Song of Solomon's again, it says, I have found the one whom my soul loves. So we have, and first and John 4 says, So we have come to know and believe that God, is, God has for that, that God has. We have come to know and to believe that God has for us. God is love and whatever, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God is love. Romans 12 says, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. Proverbs 3:3 says, Love, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. God is love. Now, here's how it gets connected. In John 3:16, he says, For God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You cannot confess love without cost. It's impossible to have an expression of love and have no cost to it. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave. What did God give to express his love? What did God withhold in expressing his love for you and me? If God, if God, then by virtue of our own confession, is the creator of heaven and earth, and he holds it all in the palm of his hands, everything that is in the universe belongs to God, right? If for us, we have made a thing that is very, very plentiful, we just can't get it, is, is everywhere, gold and silver and, and precious stone. We've made all of that. The, the pursuit of life. God holds all of that in His hand. And if God holds all of that, do you not think God has access to exchange that for us? But God doesn't exchange gold. He doesn't exchange jewelry. He doesn't exchange uh, oil. He doesn't exchange land. He doesn't say, okay, I'll give you an island if you give me that person. He, he doesn't exchange uh, a, a planet solar system he has all of that Uh, everything created by God what is what do you think everything created by God what do you think has the most value God says there is nothing that i will put at the level of my love for you because anything God gives determines that that is the price uh there's this bible verse i said it says that you would come to know the, the width and the depth, the breadth, and the height. Width, depth, breadth, height. That you would come to know the breadth, the width, the depth, and the height of God's love for you. That's four things. I don't think you need that. You need length, breadth, and width. Then you have four dimensions. But he speaks of, beyond that, he speaks of depth too. It speaks of four things. He talks about the love that God has for you. That love is then becomes limited and is not infinite the moment God attaches a value to it that is something that is beneath something else. So if God says, for God so loved the world that He exchanged the planet for you, the planet, you can determine the value of the planet. And say, so then then you can say that the love that God has for me is equal to this. But God said, doesn't do that. He says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What do you think is the most valuable thing that heaven has Jesus because heaven exists because of Jesus Jesus is the beginning and the end he's the Alpha the Omega and the beginning was the word and the word was with God and and nothing that exists was made without him everything that exists was made through him so he he holds everything together and God says this that everything that can be measured is in him God says For God loved the world so much that He gave Him for you. So God's love for you is expressed in Him withholding nothing from you. That there was no price that He would not pay. And the only, the highest price that could be paid is Himself. This is the measure with which God loved you. We come into a service like this and we worship, but we don't worship, we sing. And when we sing, we don't even think what we sing. We don't care to make sure that it's doctrinally correct. It's like when we sing songs that has got verses and scripture in it that's not, not accurately represented in the song. When the theology of the song is off. And when we merely put a word in the song so that it rhymes. It's like telling your wife, I love you. I've loved you for the last 17 years of our 19-year marriage. Chantel, you are the best thing that has ever happened to me. And our seven children is the best thing. This is how we, we express our love to God. Full of errors in our statements. And our mind, if Chanel has a birthday and I stand in front of the birthday and I give a speech about my wife and I don't have anything to say. 19 years of marriage, you don't have anything to say. And when I find something to say, my wife knows you got that on Amazon in a book, or you got that on Google. You don't have that from experience and you say these things to me. How much do you think it means to her? If I took two minutes to not even think about what I'm saying, and I just say it in a moment, this is how we worship God and expect him to respond from heaven. When we come into a service like this, we sing songs that we don't know what we sing, we don't know where the scripture comes from. We don't know if it's the truth. We just sing it because it rhymes. And we call that worship. It's not worship, it's singing and it's empty. And when we go home and our marriage marriages still falls apart and our relationships are still failing and our careers are not picking up and nothing is changing. We say, God, where are you? Well, where your mind is. Nowhere. If you really thought I could fix it. Don't you think your attention would have been different? You think your career can fix it. If you, if you, because you're thinking about your career. Because if you can fix your career, maybe your career can fix your finances. And then maybe finances can fix your problem. That's your God. Because it's worth your time. It's worth your thoughts. It's worth your attention. Am I saying anything? I'm trying very hard. It goes on. Now watch this. In... <clears throat> In Matthew, he takes the devil. The devil takes in Matthew chapter verses four, uh, chapter four, verses eight and nine. You can drop that on the screen. Matthew four eight and nine. This is where the devil tempts Jesus. Jesus is. Jesus is God come in the flesh, but he is by his own choice and choosing limiting himself to the flesh. So, in other words, he is not floating, he is not manifesting as God. He is not trying to act in his divinity. He is allowing hunger to take root in him. When he he doesn't eat, he doesn't say, I'm God, I don't need to eat. He says, I've taken the flesh and I want to feel and will feel the the, the hurt that the flesh goes through when hungry. So that when he is tempted, his temptation is accurate. This is why God, the Bible teaches us and says, you are not being put in a position where God cannot relate with you. Having himself been in the flesh, knowing what you are being tempted with. Put that verse on the screen. So he's on this, on this, uh, going through the, the test that the devil puts in front of him. He says, again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Just stop there and keep it up there. So the devil takes Jesus, puts him in a high place and shows him the wealth of the world. He shows him the kingdoms of this world. Uh, if you, if you go through history, you can see the Roman Empire and you can see the Greeks and their philosophies and, and how their different gods has temples all over Greece. And, and you can look at, at, at history and, and throughout the world. And if you walk through Washington, D.C. and you see all the, the statues and the, 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 the um, monuments that was erected for the wars and, and the, the depth of their history and the weight of all of this. All of this represents kingdoms that has existed. The devil takes Jesus up on a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Because Jesus has been sent with one one mission. To pay for you and I to be free from the curse of sin. In other words, Adam and Eve speaks to God every day. Day by day they see God. One day Adam and Eve sins and is cut off from God and they are separated from God and there is no way to close the gap of separation. Jesus is sent to bridge that gap and bring you back to God. He loves you so much that you have to be brought back to God. The devil jumps in between this thing and says to him because the devil wants him off mission. The devil wants him to fail at paying the price for you and I says to him, took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the splendor. And said to him, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. It's about worship. If you will worship me, I will give you all of this. If you get into a state of considering me worthy. Keep it up there. Let's talk about this for a second. The devil, Satan, Lucifer was in the mountain of God and the Bible says he wanted to be like God. What did he want? He wanted worship. He wanted to be considered worthy. He wanted to be considered God. He went up the mountain and he said, I shall be like the most The most high, not high, the most high. I want to be first. So he takes Jesus who is the preeminent one in heaven. He says to him, if you, if you who are the most high, I mean, if you are the most high, I can't be unless you acknowledge me higher. Are you tracking with me? So, if Jesus was to exchange his state and make it less than Satan, saying, I'll accept that. So he's negotiating. You following? Is this interesting enough? He's negotiating. He's saying, Listen, I'm on mission to bring them back to God. But if, 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 if what is the cost of Chanel and Rico? And Willem and all of the people sitting here and across the face of this planet. What is the cost at which I will say, I will exchange them for that. For love. And he says, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you were to worship me. Because if Jesus at that moment says, I'll take the kingdoms and worship you. He would have the kingdoms but still be less than Satan. Let's translate this. God is saying to you, listen, I will make you a child of God. And Satan is tempting you every day to have your worship. Because he can't have the worship of God as the most high. He'll settle for yours. He'll settle for your worship. And you say, I don't worship the devil. Yet when you're supposed to worship God, you're thinking about your problems. He is the most high, but he doesn't have the answer my career does. And the devil says, I'll hide in your career. And I'll steal your worship by hiding in your career. I'll hide in your relationship and steal God's worship by hiding in your relationships. And every time you elevate that above God, you are giving him the worth it. More than God is worth it. God will never be second. He is only first. And he is worshiped first. And at the drop of a hat, when God says, respond, you don't negotiate with God, you turn left and you turn right, even if it hurts the flesh. And you say, God, even if it hurts the flesh, it is worth it because you are worth the cost of the flesh. You can take that scripture off. And so Jesus is negotiating negotiating, Satan is negotiating and Jesus says to him, All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus says, I will not do that. You are to, maybe put that next verse up if you have it. I don't have it written down here. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship him only. He is the only one that is worth you bowing the knee. How many of us bow the knee for wealth? How many of us bow the knee to have what we want and the devil is too eager to give you what you want and you don't know what you're exchanging? How many of us are acting like Esau's and exchanging our future for a bowl of soup? Jesus is worth all that we have. This comes from, uh, I want to give you another one, John 12. Verses 1 to 8. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead, his a dinner was given to Jesus in honor. and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance of perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, was... was who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth. Worth. Does it say the same word there? When Mary takes this oil and breaks it, what's that verse just before that says, it filled the air? Uh, Before that, before that, perfumes, uh, Nardal Spencer, she poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her, and the house was filled with a fragrance. Your worship has a cost, but it also has a smell. She, she, she breaks something. Your singing costs you nothing. And you don't even, we, not you, us. We don't even do that well. But her worship cost her something. It cost her something, but there was a smell. And we wonder why when we worship, nothing happens. Because is it, is it even worship when there's no cost? Is it even worship when we don't know what we're singing? Does it mean anything to Chanel when I look at her and go like Chantel? You're worshiping God, but you don't know him. You're worshiping God, but you don't trust him. You're worshiping God, but you don't believe him. You're worshiping him, but you don't know his word that reveals him. You worship him, but you don't. You show up for one Sunday service every now and then when it suits you. And we call it worship. He is so worthy, worthy of one Sunday a month. That's why he doesn't answer. Is he worth it? And Judas goes to that verse. But one of the disciples, Judas, sounds like so many of the people that complains about us spending money on the church. We do it for our worship. We take an offering for worship. It costs us all something. No, that should have been spent differently. Who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? He doesn't care about what he sells. He's not upset about his income being distributed. He's upset about your income. People that doesn't come to the church is not upset about how they spend their money. They don't come to the church but they're upset about how you sow into the offering. I didn't even know where I was. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? Well, first of all, Judas got 30 pieces of silver and didn't get it to give it to the poor when he betrayed Jesus. Most people has a problem about sowing and sewing in a church service is not giving their money to the poor. Very very seldomly do you see somebody take their salary, give it to the poor, and say to the church, I challenge you. They don't give theirs. They want the church to give theirs away. And when they say, where's the poor? That guy's going to say, he's back. That's the problem with it. Judas never gave his away. Sold and given to the poor. It's worth a year's worth of wages. He was upset. A year's worth of wages. He did not... Not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. A keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. And leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should have this perfume for this day for my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Her worship cost her something. It's worship. It is well recognized that this was an act of worship. Her worship cost her a year's worth of wages. She said to Jesus when challenged in her inside, what is worth more to you? And I'm not saying to you, give your house away. People throw in stuff into the offering basket. It's very difficult to sell a ring. It's very difficult to sell a necklace. And I understand when you do that as a sacrifice saying, this thing bound me, I'm going to throw it away. That's fine. But we, we don't have a smelter. We can't melt. What do you call it in English? Is it called a smelter? What is it called in English? A furnace. It's called a smelter. Who agrees it's called a smelter? I was right. It could be a furnace too, I'm sure. So God is not saying to you, if you can't give your watch away, you don't love me. That's not what he's saying. But but there is a cost to most of us, and I don't think God is in the petty things. Is in the real things, but it's in the small things it begins. Because if you can't even do it in the small things, how will you do it in the big things? How will you do it in the big things? And life is full of challenges where God is to be put first. Can you walk away from many things in your life God is not in? And, and it's a year's worth of wages for her to have something in the, in the room that smelled like something. The only thing that put the smell there, that put a smell there beyond the presence of the disciples. That out, let me say, it outsmelled them. The cost was higher. When you have a, a sacrificial lifestyle, when you sing, there's something in your song. Let me make it more practical. Have you been in a service where the worship team, nothing against them, they have normal lives, they have ups and downs, they have personalities and personal problems, they have debt to pay, they have... Marriages to finance. They want to have children. Some of them have puppies. But have you ever been in a worship service where we sing and we all know we're just singing? There's nothing. You been? And then sometimes when we worship, then just sometimes in corporate worship, one of the worship leaders would begin to sing. And just something changes in the whole room. You can can sense a shift in the room. That's worship. When something shifts. When something begins to change. When there's value in what is given. This is the responsibility of the worship team. The worship team is not supposed to desire to be known. Because there's no worship if it's about you. It's about Jesus. When our worship is sent up. When we worship, when we lift up Jesus, he will draw all men unto him. Maybe that's the reason the churches are empty. Because it's not about him. When we count him worthy of our attention, He'll begin to to draw people to him. When we worship and not sing, when we say that this is what you'll do, and we believe it, there should be nothing in our lives that would take that away. At what cost would we exchange God I'll read you the last scripture, Song of Solomons. You can put that up there. Song of Solomons. This is where the whole thing started. Song of Solomons chapter number eight. It says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal over your arm. For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house, for love it would be utterly scorned that last verse if one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love it would be utterly scorned it's saying that if you put a price on love that love would be scorned there is nothing if I say that Chanel is my wife it says love your wife as Christ loved the church which is a crucified love it's 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 means you die Husbands. Wives, you have to merely submit. Husbands have to die. So stop complaining about your submission. We're dead. When you measure the two, you're still alive. It might be uncomfortable. Okay? I want to go do this. No, you can't. You just do it. It will be utterly scorned. So in other words, when I say to Chanel, I love you, but this is more important. Or if I were to say to Chanel, I'll give you a, if I were to exchange Chanel, the love I have for her, for a house or a car or whatever, anything, that love means nothing because I have put a price on what I'd pay for it. This is the same in our Christianity. At what price do we surrender God? Let me, and I'm, clo- I'm really closing with this. Do you know why God doesn't trust most Christians with wealth? It says it's difficult. It's 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 easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because when you're when you become wealthy, what you have and God at the one side and wealth at the one side, you'll love the one and despise the other. He says man cannot serve. It doesn't say man cannot have wealth. It says you cannot serve Mammon and God. Because you will love the one and despise the other. So the reason God cannot trust us sometimes with success is because success doesn't become a tool in our hand, it becomes a God. We fall so in love with the benefits of it that we begin to love it more than we consider him worthy. And that's the dangers of wealth. And so God would rather withhold wealth from you than lose you because you can't handle it and so God doesn't give the guy with a 10 tablet. uh, He gives the one one talent, two talents and five talents. When does the guy end up with 10 talents? When does the guy have 10 talents? God, doesn't have the problem with him having 10 talents, but God doesn't start him with 10, God starts him with five. And there are some that can't start with five. They start with one, but the guy who starts with one ends up with two. And by reason of extrapolation. If you have two, why can't you have four? But most of us want the 10 without starting at the one. And God is taking the one, making it two, so that you can learn how to deal with the two. I want to I want to really end now. Jesus is worth your entire life. Nothing you have is worth more than him. If you came in naked and you leave naked, all the wealth you make, your children will spend it. The only difference between you and them is they'll be on ski trips and they'll be in Greece on islands and they'll pay for yachts with their wife, not wives, wife. And when they do, they'll look up and say, thank you, daddy, but you'll be dead and all your success will be gone and you'll stand in front of God. And who you considered worth it or not worth it. You'll give account to him if you like it or not. And you'll explain why you thought he wasn't worth it. Make sense? Let's pray. Father, I pray. Our worship shouldn't be singing. It should be worth something. It cannot be worth something if it doesn't cost us anything. If our relationships are more valuable than you, is it even worth? Singing. Help us figure this thing out. Come Holy Spirit, help us figure it out. Help us figure out. Holy Spirit, help us. You are our teacher. You are our comforter, helper. Help us. Help us figure out how to put Jesus first. How to love Him with all our hearts, all our minds, and all our understanding. Teach us to be a people of discipline. How to make a decision and stick to it. Put you first. Consider you worthy. And honor you with every step that we give. Let our lives be an accurate reflection of a surrendered life. And when we do this, Father, you first loved us. You're not using us. You are not hurting us. You are protecting us you are covering us you are blessing us when we have you we have eternity in jesus name amen amen